Good morning, church. I'm excited to introduce our series on the book of Titus called Truth for Life. We are studying this book because truth is at stake and truth is important. And we want to remain a church that holds true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Theology matters. Truth matters because God matters. And so throughout this book, we're going to see how the truth of God's word is not just something that we understand and know in our heads, but it affects all of our lives. It is truth for life. And as is our tradition that we do when we open a new book of the Bible to study together, we're going to begin by singing a prayer together. So if you would stand with me if you're able. We are going to sing, Speak, O Lord, which is a prayer that asks God to affect us and change us through his holy word. The title of my sermon this morning is Whole Truth for Holy Living. We're going to be in Titus chapter 1. We will be going through the entirety of the first chapter together. So once you get there, why don't you go ahead and say amen. amen. Okay. All right. <laughs> Titus chapter 1. I'm going to read, pray, and then we'll get after it. This is God's holy. <laughs> this is God's holy and authoritative word. <laughs> Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. 
but to the defiled and unbelieving. Nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit now, that you would bless the preaching of your word. Let me preach with liberty and joy and truth and passion and clarity. Lord, that your gospel may go forth, that your truth would change us. Would you uh, uh, shape us all through your preached word this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This past week, my wife and I went on a date to a city. We had dinner, had some ice cream. I didn't have no business eating, but I did. And then around the corner from the restaurant was this seating area. And in the center was this giant and beautiful, magnificent fountain. The brick overlays were beautiful. There were roses and flowers surrounding it as water shot up from the top. There were those little Edison light bulbs strung on rope throughout the area. And it was an absolutely glorious thing to behold. And you'd think that with the beauty of this fountain being the centerpiece of the seating area, the surrounding environment would be beautiful as well. But this was not the case. In fact, there was garbage everywhere. There was poorly drawn graffiti on the walls. It smelled kind of bad. I do take my wife to nice areas sometimes, though. Uh, <laughs> the area, here's the point, was unaffected by the beauty of the fountain, its centerpiece. There was nothing wrong with the fountain, but the beauty of this fountain did not change its surroundings. And this is exactly what happened in Crete. There was this beautiful gospel as the centerpiece in the city. And this beautiful gospel should have the effect of beautifying the area around it. Yet the Cretans did not allow the truth of the gospel lead them to holy living. You see, the Cretans were notoriously evil, priding themselves on sexual indulgence, on lying, and on their gluttony. In the city of Crete, there were ethnically Jewish Christians who were Cretans, and they were equating Jewish tradition with the significance of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, tainting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is warning against these false teachers and commanding Titus to appoint elders in the city so that proper doctrine can take root and have its proper effect. The soil is hard, the people are wicked, but through the preached word and gospel witness, Christ will transform and build this church for his glory. And so throughout the book of Titus, we're going to see how the truth of the gospel affects our life in the home, how we relate to society, how we live personally, and how we interact with the church. This truth, and what I mean by the truth is the totality of the gospel message of salvation. This truth is to affect all of life. It is truth for life. The truth we believe must have an effect on our lives, but what can often happen is we can agree theologically with these truths in our minds and yet not allow the truth to change us. And this is what Paul sees in Crete. And so he's instructing Titus to put their lives into gospel order, allowing the beauty, the beauty of the gospel to create beautiful living amongst them. And this text is for us as well because we can often unintentionally drift from the gospel. 
We ourselves can turn to other things for our fulfillment and for our joy, just like the Cretans did. We too can look to indulging in our flesh or indulging in our passions like the Cretans did. We need the gospel to be our joy. We need the gospel to be our hope. We need the gospel to transform how we live. And in the midst of a hostile world, God gives gospel-centered leaders to cultivate gospel transformation. I believe it's no secret that America is becoming increasingly more hostile towards the gospel, towards the message that there is something severely wrong with us and that we need saving, more hostile towards the life that Christ himself calls us to, submission to authority, need for accountability, speaking the truth in love, sexual purity, denying yourself for the sake of others. But hostility towards the message does not make the message untrue. And Paul is writing this letter for the sake of our faith, that we wouldn't shirk back from the truth, that we'd live in accordance with the gospel because we know the transformative power of the gospel. God wants us through this book to have our faith deepened and our faith increased. God wants us to respond by expressing hope, by remembering the promises of God, the reality of our eternity, and having the sure foundation of our faith drastically affect our lives to live holy lives in light of the whole counsel of God. And so Paul, through his authority as an apostle, has written this letter to Titus to increase the faith of the church in Crete through appointing qualified elders to combat false teaching and to have gospel truth lead to gospel living. And for us, in the chaos of the world and the life that we live, here's what we need to know and can take away from this text. It's this, gospel truth leads to gospel living. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at three results of allowing the whole truth of the gospel lead us to holy living. Let's look at result number one. What does allowing this truth affect us lead to? Result number one, it leads to gospel hope. Verses one through four, gospel hope. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. I love that Paul doesn't leave us guessing at all. Why did he write this? He tells us straight up in the beginning. Paul wants us to hold on to truth. He wrote it for their faith. Paul wants gospel fidelity and devotion to spring up in Crete through the faithful preaching of the gospel because the gospel transforms us. Titus accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys and through their ministry together, Paul grew to love Titus as his own child in the faith. Paul was with Titus and he saw that Titus cherished the gospel. He loved Jesus Christ and it affected the people around him. And so Paul trusted him and wanted this specific knowledge of the truth to lead to godly, hopeful living in the city of Crete. John Calvin, regarding this knowledge of the truth, says this. He says, it's not any kind of truth, but it's the truth that contrasts with the vanity of human understanding. 
For as God has revealed himself to us through that truth, it alone is worthy of the name truth. And we see this truth described through many scriptures. You think of John 16 where it says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Or John 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And when truth takes its effect, godliness is the result. Why? Because gospel truth leads to gospel living. You, you cannot hear of the gospel and remain unchanged. Unchanged, not unchanged. Well, you will be unchanged because the gospel frees you. But you will not be unchanged. This truth accords, he says, it accords with godliness, which means it leads to godliness. It's hard to see the beauty of the gospel and hate your neighbor. When the truth of the gospel affects our lives, we are quick to repent. <laughs> Not simply quick to say sorry or apologize, but quick to repent, to turn from those sins, to own our sins, to reconcile conflicts, and to not be arrogant or quick-tempered or violent. John Stott on this says, It is an essential feature of truth and a good test of its authenticity that since it comes from God, it leads to God. Any doctrine which does not promote godliness is manifestly bogus. I don't know if his lip turned up when he said it, but that's how I say it. Bogus. The truth should change us. The gospel should change us. The glorious gospel and our new identity in Christ demands that we live lives of putting on godliness. It changes us. It transforms us. And we do this with the hope of eternal life. So real quick example. Look, I love music. I, if you looked at my Spotify numbers at the end of the year, you're like, you need to stop listening to so much music. But hear me out here. I love music. Yet the gospel has changed the type of media I consume on a regular basis. I love hip-hop. I listen to it a lot. But now I'm listening to more and more Christian hip-hop because there's so much stuff out there, even on edited albums, that just don't sit well with my spirit. I love the bars. I love the cadence. I love the wordplay, the storytelling. Some hip-hop artists are so beautifully poetic, it is a thing of glory. But there are dudes I don't rock with because even on albums that are edited, the content so goes against the spirit in me. And the goodness of the gospel, I got to cut them off. And the same with some of these other like indie folk artists I listen to who are great storytellers. Something I do is I'm always pulling up the lyrics so I know what they're trying to say. And if it's anti-gospel, it's anti-JT. If it takes my eyes off eternity, I'm out. Why? Because I want things that are coming into my mind to raise my hope of eternity because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, and especially younger folks and older folks too, it's okay to miss out on things in the world. Why? Because this world is not our home. When truth takes its effect, hope is the result. He says this, it's the hope of eternal life. It's not like a hope, I hope that maybe eternal life is coming. It is a certain thing. It is a promise. We must put our hope in the truth of God's word, not in policies, not in politics, not in people, nor in our own performances. 
The promise of eternal life comes from a God who cannot lie. And what we do is we increase our knowledge in the truth by studying and meditating on the promises of God. Promises like this that come later in the book. I don't know who gets to preach this, but I'm excited for it. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. This is just one promise. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Truth leads to gospel hope. The more you study and seek truth, the more confidence you get in God. The more you see how good God is at what he does. Growing in the knowledge of the truth results in many things for us. In studying his promises, it makes us want to want God more. You want to know him. You want to cherish him. And when you cherish him and desire to know him and study him, it begins to change who you are. It leads to a life of godliness. Paul continues in verse 4 here. He says, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Oftentimes, especially if we are familiar with the gospel, familiar with the word of God, we just write that off as some regular greeting that Paul would on. Yes, yada, yada, grace and peace. Here we go. Get me to the good stuff. Church, this is the good stuff. Grace and peace from a holy God. When I know my heart, when I know my sins, when I know all of my mixed motives, even when I'm trying to be godly, what do I get? Grace and peace. Are you kidding me? This is why we sing grace and peace. How can this be? The vilest sinner's heart can be cleansed and can be free. In Christ our Savior, we have permanent peace with God. When Paul is saying grace and peace from God our Father, it is a glorious thing. And we need to pause and praise him for what he's doing. This text matters today because truth is at stake. Truth is not relative. Truth does not change. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth. Here's, listen, the world is convinced that being true to ourselves is going to bring happiness and peace. But what's happening is it's destroying us. And this is what's happening in Crete. People are following their own desires, and it's not working. And yet, Paul doesn't sound the alarm and say, time to freak out. <laughs> he never calls Titus to lose heart or hope. In fact, he's telling Titus, don't bat an eye, preach the word, find people who have been transformed by the truth and build Christ's church. Though the world despises God and mocks God, we will never worry. We will not be anxious. We will not be unreasonable. Why? Because of our hope of eternal life. Because we hold fast and hold firm to the trustworthy word. The truth leads to gospel hope because of the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. That's result number one, which takes us on to result number two. Truth that leads to, this is result number two, gospel 
character. Verses 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So now in this section, we see Titus's job in Crete. What is he supposed to do? Well, he's got to look around and understand that Crete is a flaming hot mess. There are people who give themselves over to their desires. They're liars. They want nothing to do with the truth that leads to holy living. And yet, here are the instructions. Paul says, uh, appoint elders, pastors, men that will shepherd the flock of God here. In order for gospel renewal to take place in Crete, gospel leadership needs to be put in place. And Paul is saying that pastors need to be godly. John Stott sums up this section nicely. He says the overarching idea is that the pastor must be a master of himself. Self-controlled, disciplined, visible evidence in their behavior that they've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit that their fallen passions are under control, and that the ninefold fruit of the Spirit has at least begun to appear and to ripen in their lives. It is a call to holy living. In general, they must be above reproach. Above reproach is listed twice in this small little list, which means you must be above blame, above bad stigmas, above shame. When he says the husband of one wife He's speaking into their context there. He's not saying that you must be married in order to be a pastor. No, he is saying, y'all got to stop with this polygamy nonsense. Because that's what was going on in Crete. These people were living lives that were unaffected and unchanged by the gospel. And in Crete, they're like, yeah, polygamy rocks. Let's do it. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. That does not work. The pastor must be a one-woman man. A master of his passions. One theologian says that ministerial candidates must have an unsullied reputation in the whole area of sex and marriage. So it's godly character in the home. Children, he specifies, while in the home, they are faithful, one translation has it. Not rambunctious, not wild. Respectful. And why? Because the home is a microcosm of the church and how you manage and care for your home is oftentimes how you manage and shepherd Christ's church. So they must be blameless in doctrinal orthodoxy, blameless in the home. We must hold firm to the trustworthy word. Pastors must be through and through gospel men. I'm so grateful I get to serve on this team with so many gospel men. Men that love and cherish the word and are devoted to the word of life. So for the young men in this room considering pastoral ministry or exploring a call on their life, begin to create holy habits now that will lead you to develop and grow in these characteristics. In all of life, cherish the word of God above all things. Marvel that your name is written in the book of life. And bring in friends and roommates or your parents and ask them, which of these qualities do you think I need the most work or need to draw attention to? 
It'll be helpful. And in this list, there's multiple things happening. Paul is also showing the contrast between the typical Cretan behavior and also typical Christian behavior. The characteristics here are in stark contrast to Cretan behavior, but for the elder, one main distinction is here that he must be able to teach sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. Because shepherds care for the sheep, feeding them, giving them water to drink. But if a wolf comes in, that wolf is a threat to the health of the flock. If a wolf comes into this church, I'm not going to sit up and pet that wolf and act like it's a sheep. I'm going to address that wolf and do whatever is necessary to guard and protect the flock of God that is amongst us. John Calvin calls this the two voices of the pastor. He needs two voices, one for gathering the sheep and the other for driving away wolves and thieves. <laughs> Cretans were hoping for holiness from Jewish tradition. They need to be brought back into the truth. And it's the same with us. Whatever tradition or whatever thing we're holding on to for our inner cleansing and our inner holiness, we must remember that the blood of Jesus Christ is what cleanses us and transforms us. Here's the thing. There are real enemies of the church out there. And God in his kindness has given leaders to protect and guard his church. So what I need from you, what we need from you are your prayers. Pray for us. Every day, we need wisdom, we need the spirit, we need courage, we need discernment. And also, just note that godly character comes from a greater grasp of the gospel. When you get the gospel, the gospel gets a hold of your life, and it transforms you. And Paul's gospel that tra transforms Cretans into Christians is our same gospel that transforms us from one degree of glory to another. And this takes us to result number three. This truth leads to gospel devotion. Gospel devotion, verses 10 through 15. <laughs> this section's wild. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. <laughs> Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. The Cretans' ungodliness and warped theology is disrupting households of the faith and the community. Their folly and deception is undermining the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's undermining gospel growth. They are leaning on, he says, Jewish myths and purification rituals for their soul's cleansing. Yes, these Cretans had a bad reputation, and Paul confirms that. But in the kindness of God, they too will share in his gospel. Here's the thing. When you're devoted to something, because remember this is what truth leads to, it leads to gospel devotion. When you're devoted to something, not only do you love it and want others to experience it, but you want it rightfully represented. And when it's not you are going to fight against the falsehoods and silence the unbelievers. 
silence those who go against what the truth actually is. If you're unfamiliar with this, ask any Android user how they feel about Apple products. <laughs> you will not get a passive, well, if that works for you, go ahead. Nah, you're going to get rebuked <laughs> sharply until you repent and buy an Android phone immediately. <laughs> Paul calls Titus and the leaders to rebuke and to rebuke them strongly. Now, i got to address two groups of people here because some of y'all here rebuke strongly. You start cracking your knuckles and you're like, it's about time I'm finna go in. <laughs> but it's not simply rebuking just because. It has a purpose. It's rebuking in order to make them sound in the faith. It's not rebuking in order to shame. It's not rebuking them sharply in order to win arguments or rebuke them in order to slam folks just because it is for restoration. It has a purpose. Now hold on now. Because there's some of you out here who hear rebuke sharp, sharply and you wince. Some of y'all would wish that there's no confrontation ever needed. Let's let them just do their thing and we'll do our thing over here. No harm, no foul. No, the gospel is of utmost importance. And when someone corrupts the gospel message, it must be corrected. Gospel devotion leads to defending the truth. There is this mama bear tenacity that pastors must have and gospel people must have over their flock and as members together in the same church for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Listen, there are empty talkers and deceivers out there everywhere. You can find them on TikTok. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram reels, YouTube videos, media, the news. <laughs> Whether it's a twisted view of biblical manhood and womanhood that goes against God's design, whether it's a distorted and idolatrous Christian nationalism, whether it is a Christless formula for ethnic unity that's simply another form of ethnocentrism, the fact of the matter is the truth of the gospel is of utmost importance. And when tertiary issues threaten the gospel or affect our gospel witness, they must be rebuked sharply. So church, if you're out in community group or you're out to coffee and someone starts talking a little crazy, bring them back in a spirit of gentleness to the beauty of the gospel. Because our glorious gospel is going to affect how we interpret deceivers and empty talkers. Church, we are gospel people through and through. This is of utmost importance. Throughout this series, we will be quoting from our Sovereign Grace Church's statement of faith entitled, We Believe. And listen to the section entitled, The Gospel. This is, this is everything for us. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ and all that he did in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension to accomplish salvation for humanity. Therefore, the gospel is not a human action or achievement, but rather an objective, historical, divine achievement that remains true and unchanging regardless of human opinion or response. The gospel stands as the core message of the Bible, which in all its parts testifies to God's saving acts culminating in the person and work of Christ. This good news is the power of God for salvation for all who believe, providing hope for the lost, and abiding comfort and strength for the believer. There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. 
And so we cherish and we study the gospel so that when empty talkers and deceivers come, your households can stand firm. Let's close out here by highlighting some nuggets of hope that come from the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel, this truth leads us to gospel hope, gospel character, and gospel devotion. And here's what's truly amazing, is that these quality men that Titus is appointing for eldership are coming from Crete. These people who are, by testimony of their own philosophers, lazy beasts, gluttons, and liars. These people are now being brought into the family of God, having all their sins forgiven, and they are washed white as snow. This is what the gospel does. This truth transforms Cretans into men who have gospel hope, character, and devotion. Listen to me. There is no place or soul or society that is so far gone that the truth and power of the gospel cannot redeem it. The hope here is that the power of the gospel transforms even the lowest of sinners. And for those of, those of us here who are in Christ, we can take a moment and pause and testify to that. Because we can still marvel at the fact that Christ has saved us. The blood of Jesus and the good truth of this holistically redemptive gospel has conquered every sin and has removed all of our shame. Listen, there is no sin or struggle within you where Christ says, I've met my match. Christ is our conquering king. Christ is the good shepherd who cares for his flock perfectly. And he has conquered every single sin. And yes, I'm talking about that sin that is in your mind right now where you have a little bit of a question mark. Yes, that one conquered by the blood of Jesus. When Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within, look up. See him there who made an end of all your sin, who made an end of all of our sin. What God did with the Cretans through Titus's leadership, he has done in our hearts through regenerating our hearts and filling us with the Spirit, bringing us from being completely dead, right? We weren't kind of kicking and kind of alive and God just gave us a jump start. No, we were dead. We had nothing. We had nothing to offer, nothing to give. And yet Jesus Christ himself said, that one, that soul is mine. And we are made alive together in Christ. <laughs> we can be holy and blameless because of what Christ has done for us. That the perfect and holy life that Christ lived is now counted as ours. That Christ himself is praying and interceding for us. That Christ himself will bring the good work he began in us to completion. Band, you can start to come out now. That the truth given to us in the gospel completely transforms our lives for good. That the grace given to us in the gospel empowers us to live holy lives pleasing to God. Church, the whole truth of the gospel leads us to holy living. This truth leads to gospel hope and gospel character and gospel devotion. So let us be those who live out the implications of the gospel in all of our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of our great God. Amen.